Welcome into Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two for One Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. Today, Mike and I in Cincinnati on the studio. We're not on the studio, we're in the studio. We're going to touch on a little bit on the Deshaun Watson allegations, then get into our listener mailbag. Make sure if you want to get in on the mailbag, leave a five star review with a question on Apple Podcasts, and we will get to it. We're catching up. We're only like 100 out from being caught up, and then we're going to do our international mailbag. It's going to be a treat. And then at the back end of the podcast, interviews with former Mississippi State running back Kylan Hill and former LSU slash North Dakota State linebacker Jabril Cox. Let's get it. Can we touch on your outfit, big guy? You make fun of me I all the time for my style. Starting, but. And it's like, you, that fucking Blue's Clues striped sweater. I don't know if I can get on board. Quinn, can I get a take? Uh, what, what's your take on Renner's outfit? I mean, I, it's it's not too dissimilar from something that I would wear. I mean, I have that I, Modelo fleece that I rock all I the time. I like stripes similar fleece. to that, but it's a little bit different color. But I wouldn't consider it Blue's Clues. It's a very, um, the long sleeve sweatshirt with the shorts is a very um like march april in ohio type fit so i woke up back. today first day i wore shorts all year long i was like i'm gonna do it and then i get made fun of for looking i'm gonna reel it back i'm gonna reel it back because i often don't make comments on what people wear because i don't have a leg to stand on yeah. and i'm gonna reel this one back maybe i'm wrong maybe yeah. that's a fucking sick ass sweater dude i don't know that's just all right i'm out i'm out, I'm out. I'm, I, that's on me that's on me it's let's like jump, jump into um, you know, some handful of people in the YouTube comments, and rightfully so, have said, why aren't they bringing up the Deshaun Watson allegations? That's one of the biggest stories in the NFL. And I think we'd be remiss not to bring it up. And I know, Mike, you wanted to touch on these things first. Yes, because obviously it's a huge thing. And, and honestly, I don't think he's getting traded at this point. I, I think anyone, any other NFL team would be idiotic to try to make a move at this point with how serious these allegations are and with how many there are at this point. Was it 22 now they're up to in multiple different cities even? Hard to give him the reasonable doubt at that point in terms of like, oh, this is just a money grab. This is just whatever. This, These are legitimate allegations at that point that you have to take seriously. I don't care who you are at this point. And I, I had a few different takes on this, I'll say. The one take is that it's okay not to have a take on, a, on something this serious. It's okay not to jump to an opinion based off of limited information. I know in today's news cycle... Everyone wants to be first to everything, first to the right answer, right answer, first to figure something out. It's okay to sit back and say, I'll wait for more information. I'll wait for things to play. You do not have to immediately jump to one person's side or the other or an opinion on something, especially, again, when it's as serious and disgusting in nature as these allegations were. And there are two things I've seen regularly on the whole Deshaun Watson saga, one being that Houston ownership could be involved in this because obviously Tony Busby, the lawyer in Houston, has said in an Instagram post that he's neighbors with Cal McNair, I guess. I think he put neighbors as in like he also lives in Houston maybe. But that would be the dumbest thing Houston ownership could do. This That would be – there's no sort of logical reasoning. Now, that doesn't obviously stop – uh, what Houston front office has done. They, they maybe haven't been making the most logical choices, but nothing about this would help them as a franchise. This would only hurt them. So the fact that they could be evolved, completely idiotic. And then the other 
sort of argument I've seen is that Deshaun Watson could get anyone or a guy in his stature could get anyone. So why would he do things like this? That's not a logical conclusion to that. You can get anyone that almost in my eyes would make someone more likely because someone who could get anyone is not used to hearing. No, is not used to being told that they can't get what they want. And so when they don't, they're not always going to accept that. So that to me is not an argument against not, or not an argument not for Deshaun Watson in this case. So before you go out and say, such things like that, I would just recommend not having to take. I mean, in a world where Army Hammer, the celebrity that played the rowers and Winklevoss so, twins, with the Winklevoss twins and uh, the social network is eating human beings. I mean, there's yeah. there's a lot of things that could go wrong. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter your I status. Mean, seen, doesn't matter anything. Yeah, I've seen college athletes at bars. Like the entitlement can be a real thing. I mean, I think I tweeted it out early. It's like if you have Houston Texans season ticket holder or the team's logo as your profile picture on Twitter, just just don't tweet. You don't have to do this. You don't have to have undying – you don't have to go Roddy White with it. And, you know, undying support for Deshaun Watson despite having no real understanding of what's going on here. 16 different civil lawsuits yeah. alleged ale, – uh, uh, civil lawsuits le, um, accusing alleged, of sexual yeah. misconduct. That's real. Those are real. Those are real people with those civil lawsuits. Don't fuck around. Don't, you know, you don't have to tweet. You don't have to have a take. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I don't, I agree with that. Some of these arguments in favor of Deshaun Watson, like he's a star, he could get whatever he wants, or Houston's management is, or Houston's front office trying to get involved to stop. Just stop. Just take the tinfoil hat off and throw it away because this is bigger than you, way bigger than you. It's like 16 people bigger than you. I definitely think um, you hit the nail on the head about not having a take on the Deshaun Watson stuff. We'll see how it plays out. Obviously, it's freaking insane. It's it's stuff that we're going to have to, as we get more information, obviously comment on and see where it goes. Um, with that being said, that was a dark start. Let's get to something lighter. Let's get to the listener mailbag where okay. we are only about 120 questions away from being caught up with the Americans. Then we're about 150 questions out being caught up with the internationals. We're going to do an international Serious. mailbag, maybe a series of international mailbags once we get caught up. What's great, though, is if, say, we do get caught up with the United States, the people who love American football here in the States. We can always jump over to the international. You know, it's like, hey, we don't have enough questions from Americans. Yeah. We're going over to Ireland, Brazil, Portugal. We got take a trip. Take, let's take a trip. Let's take a trip. All right, let's start now. I just with... got my passport. So... Really? Yeah, on Monday. So we can actually do it now. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. <laughs> All right, let's now go ahead and jump into the listener mailbag. This first one is from Duck Bias. Hey guys, what type of co- what type of pick slash process would you look at as a bad first round for my beloved Eagles? Draft Najee Harris one. Two, but a more realistic one, I think a bad pick process would be having Justin Fields, Trey Lance, one of those top group of guys fall to you and then passing on them. I think at the quarterback position in the NFL, you have to seriously evaluate any incremental increase you can make at that position is so much more valuable than any other player you could get at any other position. And that's not even, that that shouldn't be that hard to convince people of. And so... If you think that those guys, and, and I think everyone and their mother thinks that Justin Fields and Trey Lance are better prospects than Jalen Hurts. If you think that, and Jalen Hurts did nothing as a rookie to convince you otherwise, then you do it because, again, that incremental change so much more valuable than whatever, Devontae Smith, whoever they're going to be. I highly doubt knowing so. that the Eagles would take a quarterback there at six. I think they would, especially yeah. with Justin Fields or Trey Lance, or even if Zach Wilson does fall, say Fields and Lance go earlier. I think they would sprint the card in for a quarterback, one of those big four. And but that's why I think the Cincinnati Bengals sitting at five and the Miami Dolphins sitting at three, two, you know, teams with second year quarterbacks on the roster expected to start, 
will be big trade down opportunities and the Atlanta Falcons Atlanta Falcons is another piece there as well I think you're going to see teams look to come up and it'll be interesting to see what the price ultimately is because like say the Miami Dolphins want x to go up to three but so the Falcons want like 0.8x I mean obviously using percentages and those things you could see teams jump for different spots it could be an all-out bidding war to go trade up between the Dolphins Falcons and Bengals to a point where maybe the price comes down because teams are you know maybe less willing to yeah, come the, all the way yeah, up yeah the the Eagles starting to trade up trade up conversation is completely different than just like one of those guys falling to them yeah if it's trade up no like that's not that's a different animal altogether all right let's jump now to the next question this is from pff commenter with the vikings needing help all over the offensive line and defensive line are they better off taking barmore who is the best by far in the interior or hoping someone wants to trade up for mac jones so they may get a second rounder back lost theirs unique lost theirs to unique and gakwe trade and have more swings at the plate well First off, RIP the Vikings defensive tackle need. They signed uh, Dalvin Thompson. So they're good there. I And they'll get Michael Pierce back from the, um, obviously, the opt-out. Yeah, Michael Pierce back. Defensive end, still a big need. I really don't want to be the first one to draft defensive end in this draft class. I would love, I mean, trading up for Mac Jones, trading up for anyone, letting someone come up, getting any day two pick, using that first round around an edge guy, and then using those multiple day two picks on an offensive line. That... Would be, I think, grade A scenario if you're the Minnesota Vikings. Do you really do? I, I don't think we've had this conversation yet, but do you think a team is going to want to trade future draft capital for Ma- up to go get Mac Jones, or do you think he's one of those guys that you'd rather let him fall to you, like it's similar like Dwayne Haskins with the football mm-hmm. team? I, I think Mac Jones is a better prospect than Dwayne Haskins, even in hindsight. But do you think do you think that teams are going to want him to fall to him rather than come up and go get Mac Jones? Because Mac That's Jones becomes a, a different question. Mac answer, Jones okay. becomes a different quarterback prospect when you have to trade a future first and a second rounder for him. But you're not going to have a tr- if you're trading up to 14. It's not going to be that. Like if it's you're trading up 14, the team's trading up for him. Going to be the Chicago Bears or the Washington Football Team. That's who's going to trade up for 14. Now, if you're going even higher than that, if it's like into the top five, top six, that's a different question altogether. But if it's in that range, like if it's in the proposed trade for like the Patriots going up to nine, like in my latest mock draft, that that. I don't think it would be more than a second to do something like that. Or Interesting. Like second and a fourth, something like that. It wouldn't be a future first or anything like that. All right. This is from Tommy Fantasy Guy. Hey, guys. Who are your fantasy football targets amongst rookies? Obviously, Pitts, first-round receivers, and top-two-round backs. But who are some day-two or day-three players oh, that could make their mark on the scene? I know a lot will have to do with scheme fits and just where the players end up, but i love to get any insights possible in a 16-person league. Woo! That is a deep league. That is crazy. I, of course, he's looking for day two and day three stars. Can I start this question? Yeah. So obviously, I think he's right in that you're going to pick guys who are drafted highly because they're going to more likely get high target share as rookies. For day two and day three guys, it's tough to consider who you'd pick without knowing where they'd go. It's obviously, literally all situations. Because it's all going to be, I mean, fan, so much of fantasy is opportunity-based. But mm-hmm. some of my favorite, I think where I'd lean is maybe some running backs that could get drafted on day two and day three. I think there could be some guys that come in into favorable, favorable situations and get run out of the gate, you know, but um, I don't know what I would do. That one's so situation-based. I think you're going to have to target guys who go back to the running back episode, the all-around guys. Trey Sermon. The guys who will, yeah, who like James Robinson obviously came in. He had a skill set that he could run. He can also catch, and he can, like, carry a workload. He has that size. So I would target – I would not target the backs that are, like, Demetric Felton, like, Chuba Hubbard, like the sh- smaller, undersized guys who aren't going to come in and be possible bell cows or possible, like, heavy target 
or heavy loads there. Jesus, heavy loads. Uh, so that's where nothing I wrong with heavy loads, dude. I can do laundry every weekend. All right, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero. It's actually my dad's name. Is there any NFL talent coming out of Penn State in the you coming years? You use that years? joke all the time. It, now it's becoming a running bit. Oh, is it? Yeah. I actually hate that you mentioned that because I probably do say that too much. <laughs> I want to back out of it. The next one's like HXF. That's actually my mom's. <laughs> all right. Is there any NFL talent coming out of Penn State in the coming years? Also, what is the deal with Sean Clifford? I don't think he's terrible, but sometimes it's hard to watch him play. <laughs> How does he look as a prospect? Thanks. I think he's terrible. <laughs> I'll, I'll go on a limb there. I think he's terrible. I don't think he's terrible, um, but sometimes it's hard to watch him play is so, honestly what my, I don't know. Never mind. Go ahead. I mean, if you think that guy's going to be a, a prospect when it's hard to watch him play, I got news for you. No, but he's... Say next. Say next. Proud. I was going to say Cincy he's a Cincinnati guy. guy. We should offer him a job at PFS. Since he got interested, so I can't hate too much. But uh, so Penn State prospects. We've touched on Jaquan Brisker before. The safety. Oh yeah. Could have declared. Didn't. Big Adrian Amos vibes from him. And then Jahan Dotson. He initially started digging Sean Wade's grave. Devontae Smith ended up putting the nail in that coffin for his draft stock, but. If you will recall, he had that one-hander against him. Which wasn't he's even a, Sean Wade's worst rep in that game, yeah. by the way. Well, Dotson's a pretty, le- it's a pretty legit wide receiver prospect. Maybe not a first-rounder, but he'll he'll get drafted. So you got it. Those All right. Two. This one's from HXFHGFVJJ. Seems like everyone had Marvin Wilson as a top 15 player before the season, or at least a first-rounder. Since then, he's been dropped way, way down on everyone's boards. I didn't get a chance to watch many Florida State games this year. Mike did. So I've been surprised to see this is... Surprised to see this as I was very impressed with him in 2019. So were we. Curious as to your thoughts on the difference from last year to this year. Thanks. Yes. So Wilson is the classic traits versus production guy. When you don't have high level traits, if you're just a middling all around kind of athlete, you better produce. Like to go highly, you better be dominating football fields. And his trait was like his play strength. Like mm-hmm. that's his elite trait that you didn't hang your lose hat on. that he didn't necessarily lose that but it was not it did not develop and it did not look as dominant this past season when he was in a more it was a different role they were running a lot of three-man fronts this past year as opposed to what they kind of did in years past for florida state not a lot of guys producing that florida state defensive line not even like good players yeah. josh mccate i mean they had a lot Genarius of talent, robinson right? they, those guys did not grade out exceptionally well they were not really put in great situations but then also like he's going to be put in not great situations in the NFL. You better overcome that shit. You better still play well. So that's an issue. And then obviously his athletic testing, 509-40, 23 reps on the bench, 25 and a half inch vert, 811 broad, 483 shuttle, 77713 cone. Just rank average, yeah. if not below average for the position. What's wild is he's a former five-star. And we've brought that up before, but I thought, you know, I think it was just because of his size. Like the dude's just like kind of a behemoth. He also was on the podcast and talked about know some weight stuff about him getting up in weight and then wanting to come down teams wanting him to drop like 20 30 pounds like i don't know i think it'll be interesting to see what he plays at in the nfl from a weight perspective and how much that changes things for his development it'll be interesting i don't think again i don't think florida state was doing a ton to help those guys develop along the defensive line all right this is from cam dog 23 i'm a diehard seahawks fan if you were the owner of the hawks would you retain john snyder after having probably the greatest drafting run in NFL history from 2010 to 2012, they have been subpar in the draft since. I know you said the Hawks have been a bottom three drafting team over the last few years, but I feel they've made some decent good picks. DK, Shaq Griffin, Chris Carson, Damian Lewis, and some good trades for veterans. Diggs, Dwayne Brown, Clowney, question mark. Their failure has had been in early rounds since they often reach for their guys. Basically, how would you grade 
John Snyder's tenure and would you keep him? Can I start? Yeah. You've talked about, I think, a really good conversation that probably should be mentioned more on the podcast as we do more episodes is what you were saying about where are the edges in roster building. Mm-hmm. And I think you said positional valuation, like how valuable each position is, is one of the bigger ones. I think the, I think the other one is just guys getting locked into their guys. You know, like not seeing the market, not seeing the consensus in the draft where – you don't need to take Damon Arnett at the back end of the first. You don't need to take Jonathan Abrams as high as you do, or Josh Jacobs. I know I'm picking on the Raiders here, but they're another team that goes and picks their guys. LJ Collier, probably a similar mold to what the Seattle Seahawks did. Rashad Penny. You know, like, not only are you picking low-value positions, like interior defensive line, running back, box safety, but you're, you're locking into your guys. And when you lock into your guys and don't take into account, like, consensus boards and those things where you expect people to go... Not only are you going to fall into reaches, Jordan Brooks was the second biggest reach, according to the Athletics Consensus Board, of any yeah. player in the first round last year. Like when you do, when you do that, Damon Arnett, I think was the first biggest or the, the biggest reach, or Isaiah Wilson maybe. But like when you do that, not only do you put yourself in a situation where you're reaching on a player versus consensus, but then it was also like a low valued position, like box, like linebacker, like box players are not as valuable as other players on the football field. Yeah. So I do think that the Seahawks, while they did draft really well and hit on a lot of guys, they've really missed on factoring in positional valuation and consensus markets to make sure that they know that one, they're getting the best value for their picks and two, they're hitting on guys. Yeah. The process has been questionable. I would say the least the the Jimmy Graham trade, the Jamal Adams trade. Those are not, those are not guys you trade what they gave up for to then pay. Also, it's kind of the biggest thing there. Don't should not be giving up that sort of capital for, I mean, if really anyone other than quarterback, maybe maybe a number one corner maybe a Jalen Ramsey like that's about it that you really can give up for positions like that getting a guy like Jamal Adams as we saw doesn't move the needle for your defense and I think just the uh, there's a lot of process concerns so I'm not going to call for anyone's job but they'll just say there's process concerns and it was two first round picks for Jamal Adams wasn't it yes like think of like mathematically how good Jamal Adams has to be to be better than two first round picks like to be better than two starters because, I mean, first-round picks, you have to expect they're going to start. To be better than two starters as a safety in that limited role is difficult. Not only does he have to stay healthy, he's got to be playing really well. Like, it's it's mm-hmm. it's very difficult on that side of the ball, I mean, to to get a guy that would live gotta, up. Now they got to give him a contract after this, and he's probably going to be top safe, paid safety in the NFL. Very like, you almost, you almost, you're you almost negotiating yeah, from yeah, that yeah, you have perspective. To. It's, yeah. it's the same thing with, like, Jalen Ramsey. And I think Jalen Ramsey, better position, more valuable. But, like, they traded two first-round picks for him or something along those lines. And then, like, he had them hand, you know, hands tied behind your back. Yeah. It's like, hey— and now I want my money. Yep. All right. Uh, and now I want my money. All right. This is from JBIJA1207. What What do you think is the move for the Giants in the draft at 11? Obviously, wide receiver is a huge need and uh, has changed a little bit and would change the team on offense drastically. However, the Giants had a bottom five offensive line for the last few years, and just drafting Andrew Thomas last year is not enough. I respect that. Do you think Slater could be a move at 11? You've said this before and you like it. And Or do you think they're better drafting a weapon and finding offensive line later in the draft? I think Slater's a likely. I think that might be Slater's floor at this point, 11. Just because... All those Chargers because the desperation. over? Yeah, it, the desperation you see just around the league and free agency for that position, for anyone, anyone off the line. And this versatility will obviously be coveted. So... Yeah, I, I think that's a very likely scenario at this point. I also don't hate them trading back if they can find ways to trade back and add on the offensive line. But I will say for the interior, you have Will Hernandez there. We need to make a list of teams you would hate trading back for. Yeah. Who do you hate trading back for? Jags. <laughs> have one. Um, but Will Hernandez has been a productive player for them, former second-round pick in 2018. But looking, Shane Lemieux and Nick Gates starting last year were disastrous. 
Lemieux did not should not have been in there. Yeah, they they so they get Nate Solder back, and then but the thing is, Solder and Peart, you have two of the tallest tackles in the NFL. Solder, I think six eight. I think Peart six seven. Are you going to move Andrew Thomas to guard? It was fourth overall pick. That would be you going to move him to guard, or are you going to move a six eight guy to guard? I don't know what they're going to necessarily do though, because I, I don't think I guess Peart, if anyone would be who I'd kick in, but yeah. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Looking at the next one here. This is from Kate Otten. Anyways, thoughts on Jamar Jefferson. Oh, Seems- shit, I never gave the Kate Otten take. I'll have to go give the Kate Otten take next week. What's the Kate Otten take? Someone asked me about Kate Otten. I just never did it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Seems as if he's one of the more... Oh, so this is on Jamar Jefferson, not yeah. Kate Otten. This is from Kate Otten. Seems as if he's seems as if he's one of the more all-over-the-place evaluations in the draft right now. Some seeing him as a high-end RB3 as high as RB3 to not being ranked in the top 200 of the PFF draft guide. Fantasy guys are going to love this guy because 1,374 yards is an 18-year-old. Mm. Dominator rating. Dominator rating. But he's just not that exciting athletically. Never been a tackle breaker. Uh, broke fewer than... Un- forced missed tackles per attempt was under 0.2. For context with that, Javon Williams was almost 0.5 this past year. Just that's not who he is. The comp in the draft guide for him, Devontae Booker. That tells you about how exciting he is as a that athlete. would suck. He's just he's just he's a good one cut runner, zone runner, very good vision. Can play in the NFL. I mean shit, Devontae Booker's got a second contract. So that's how I feel about him. Devontae Booker is like one of the last running backs I want in the NFL. <laughs> you know, I want a guy, someone was asking me like, what kind of running backs do you look for on day two, day three? I want a guy with a specific skill set. I don't, you know, the all around types, while you can chase them like the James Robinsons of the world, I kind of want to go get a guy that's really good at something. Pass protection, goal line situations, pass catching. I want to go get a, because I mean. But the thing is. Okay, or I, I want speed. I want to do what the 49ers have done, like Raheem yeah. Mostert and those guys. Like go get fast players and hand them the football. And it's kind of like. Uh, I guess offense, civilly, you can dictate terms a lot better. Can you never do that again? What offense, civilly? I was, I was in between words. I guess offensively, you can dictate terms better. Like you can protect a guy if a guy really can't do X. You don't have to put him in a role to do X. But sometimes you want to audible and then do X. But if that guy's on the field, then you can't do X. So there you go. That's why people like the backs like that. They can do a lot of different things. All righty. This is from J.A.K. Jump. The Bears are likely to trade for a quarterback this offseason. If they do, Akeem Hicks and Charles Leno are likely cap cuts. How are some of the later round options that might be able to be developed into a replacement for these two? I don't think they're trading for a quarterback anymore. Unfortunate. But developmental offense tackles, we kind of touched on this in the OT pod. If you haven't listened, go back and check that out. But the two best traits tackles that are likely going to go day three spencer brown from northern iowa jalen moore from western michigan those are pure developmental guys like you're you're not throwing those guys in he's saying later on options you're not throwing that guy in for you know bobby massey who they released and saying hey you're our new right tackle that ain't gonna work the guy i think is a little more ready and also has some, some developmental traits and i even have a higher grade on the day three but could still go through likely to go J3 Deontay Smith East Carolina thought he looked really good at the senior bowl undersized I think that's like his biggest thing though it's just like if this guy can put on a little bit more mass I think he could be a quality starting tackle in the NFL I also like James yeah. Hudson I got a little developmental offensive tackle I don't think he's day three though you think he goes day two yeah nice that's good 
Love that. You see, guys. All right. This is from Oreo Queen 4321. I like that. Great pot. Jacksonville has the first selection of Friday and Saturday, in addition to Thursday. Historically, have the first historically have the first picks in the second and fourth rounds have higher success rate than other picks in their respective rounds. Interesting. So they flipped to the three days of 2010. I remember hating it. I loved as a kid growing up, and Saturday would be the day. All the rounds, right? All yeah. All seven. Or no, it was Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Right? It was four rounds and then or no three rounds and then four. Loved that. Man, miss those days. Because you just sit there. All I like the long. three days. But I've come around three days. Like I said, that was 2010. Here are the I just did the top of the second round. I, the reasoning here being, I, I think is why uh, Oreo Queen here asked the question is that you get a whole day to choose who you want. Yeah. I, I got I got all And you day. can field trade offers, and, yeah. and you can do a like, lot of different things. Or you know, the people that do trade off, they go and get their guy. So, in reality, I don't, I don't think it's been much different. <laughs> got 2010 was Roger Saffold, hit. 2011, Razai Dowling to the Patriots. Name nice. I haven't heard in probably since he got drafted there. Uh, Brian Quick, 2012, to the Rams. With Jonathan Cyprin to the Jaguars, last time they had that top of the second round pick. Not a good track record Where? there. Small sample size scouting. Jags were terrible at the top of the second round pick. Uh, 14, although he ended up getting like a second contract somewhere that was yeah. with the Titans, was it? That oh, was, no, it was with Titans. That was not, he should not have gotten. But, no, I mean, that they should not have given. Was Cyprin also a Jags pick at the top of the second round? Yeah, Cyprin was a Jags yeah. pick. Yeah. He was also the guy that posted the Instagram picture with just some random old dude and said like, oh, I met George Bush. Oh, it was, no. was he really? Bush. Did you, you guys have never seen I've that? Never I've never seen that. I'll stitch this in. Oh, I promise I'm better thank actually. Thank God. Yeah, I got to well. see that. that no, it's, funny. it's pretty funny, yeah. I'm going to look at it right. now. Number 14, Xavier Suofilo. 15, Landon Collins. There we go. We got a second real banger at the top of the second. 16, Emmanuel Ogba. 17, Kevin King. 18, Austin Corbett, which, oh, that Austin Corbett pick. I remember at the time, I was like, I liked Austin Corbett. I would have picked Austin Corbett 70 picks later. And I was like out on a limb thinking I liked him that high. Uh, Byron Murphy, 2019. Okay, 2020. Who was it, Quinn? T. Higgins. Bang. Nice. They have so, two uh, top of the first round guys. Xavier Sofilo now. Yeah. So I, I think that's about one-third-ish sort of solid hit rate. You got a, a few other like... You got a couple guys that just were, weren't weren't it at all. A couple guys that could see the field, but were fine. I think that's about what you'd expect in that range. It I found the picture and I just dropped it in our chat. It is absolutely hilarious. He's just got this. It's a, it looks like like a pilot or something. I don't know what this picture is. I'm glad we're going to put it up on the YouTube channel. But like, what the fuck? <laughs> I met George Bush. Maybe the guy's name was George Bush, and he thought it was like the does. George yeah. Bush. That could be. That's it. I don't know. Common mistake. Common mistake. All right, this is from Will Clank. Where do you guys see Jarrett Patterson going in the draft? And as a Bills fan, how should they address their offensive line and defensive line needs this offseason slash draft? This guy's obviously a Buffalo native. Thanks. Keep up the great work. Yes. So Patterson, I think he's a late day three, man. Just that size is tough sell. Yeah. And very, like a, yeah. Very similar to J.J. Taylor last year from Arizona. It's 5'5", 185. Uh, Patterson's maybe just a tad bigger. But I thought Taylor even ran like harder. That guy ran with power on his tape at Arizona, went undrafted. So late day three is where I'd see Patterson. And for the Bills, how would they address O-line? You got to take advantage of this deep class somewhere. Not doesn't have to be round one. I would love cornerback. I think someone else is going to ask about the Bills later, and I'm going to tell you pound the table for some corners there But in the first round. But I do think the interior class on round two gets you a guy 
to me, the kicker pants fit Quinn Miners. Day two. Ooh, that two. would be sick. Back around two would be nice. I like that a lot. All right, this is from Jameson Schumacher. What it fit, are my, fits the town. It fits the town. town. Definitely fits the town. Dude, the social media team is going to have a field day. Yeah. Jameson Schumacher. What are Mike's thoughts on Chargers building a Notre Dame defense with Isaac Rochelle, Alohi Gilman, Jerry Tillery, Drew Tranquil, and who are his favorite Notre Dame defensive players regardless of year? I'll be honest. That sounds like a shitty defense. That does. That's not good. You could. Brady Quinn would like it on radio. <laughs> Only on radio. Damn, it would be on a podcast. Um, Notre Dame. Not known for their defensive prowess, I will say, over the past decade. So that's that's not what I would go. My favorite defensive players, though, Notre Dame, loved Lewis Nix. Oh, RIP. yeah, he was sick. Lewis Nix was great in college until his knee injuries caught up to him, knee issues. Like, there, he was mocked in the first round before he had that came out that he had, like, a meniscus that was, like, a real issue. I, I never really loved Manti. People love Manti Notre Dame. Neither did his girlfriend. The Faith thing, okay. Ha, ha, ha. Ten years later, they're still funny. They are still funny. No. They were played out 2014. But uh, I still I, like them. I never really like loved man. He, I thought his face shit was over the top even before the fake girlfriend. Uh, Kyle Hamilton is my like favorite, most talented. That guy's good as hell. I thought Jalen Smith was really fun to watch. Jalen Smith was good, but he was more like prospect good instead of actual on the field good. Like Kyle Hamilton, prospect good on the football field, also good. You know who's a linebacker that was really a fun watch? And in college was Miles Jack. Miles Jack and Eric Hendricks when they were playing together at UCLA. That was a that was a sick. He was fun point. at running back. Yeah, he was, was fun at running fun. back too. Um and then top three. Oh, his second bottom question, three favorite fans in the NFL. You're trying to make me alienate some of you guys, and I will gladly go ahead and do that. Top three, Bengals. Love that. Browns. Bills. Adopted Bengals fan myself, so maybe. Wait, what? Is, what is this? Top so, so the question bases. from J Jameson Schumacher was, "What are your guys' top three and bottom three favorite fans in the NFL?" Bengals, Browns, Bills, and then what are your bottom three? Bottom three: Seahawks. So whiny. Mm. They're just like they know what. I don't like how they address themselves as the twelves. And that then that's me. the worst. Anyone that has owns a twelve jersey, you can just turn off the podcast yeah. right now. You're, you're, this isn't for you. All right. This is for the people that don't wear 12 jerseys. This podcast this isn't for you. Raiders, just Have because be you're a Raiders fan. But they're just, they oh, are. My God. oh my they're God. Vicious. I mean, that's what happens though when you they're deal so with jaded. like two decades of shitty ass teams. Yeah. I mean, you have Although, no, like the Bengals, Browns, and Bills, I love them because anything positive is like, oh my God. Yeah. They're like a kid who just like figured I think out Falcons that fans are up there for me. Fun. I like Falcons fans. I think they're yeah, a little bit Falcons more real. Fan. I think you, the fact that you didn't include Cowboys in your bottom three is a little ridiculous. Cowboys fans are absolutely vicious. I really? when I had that take about Trayvon Diggs just not playing that well last year, I had multiple people DM me asking for my address to kill me. Eagles fans too. I think right. the NFC East is kind of brutal. I, Eagles were I changed my last one. I had the Pats written down there. But Patriots the have started to suck though. Patriots fans are like. Yeah, oh, Patriots fans really got out of my this the, past year. This past year has been tough for Patriots fans. They, they, it's like, I don't know, man. What are you talking about? We're the Patriots. We should go to the Super Bowl every year. It's like, dude, calm down. The amount of people the that have told me that you can find a quarterback in the later rounds is incredible. Boo. But Boo. E Eagles, are wor Eagles are worse. Who's the most middle fan for you? Mid fan? Jaguars. They're just like. Yeah. Arizona was going to be my take. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't even I I mean, don't know. If, I don't there... think I've had a reply from a Chargers fan. True. Except, so. All right. This is from TBO Gucci. What offensive line prospects do you see available at the Seahawks pick in the second round? My dream scenario would be Walker Little and develop him at right tackle and then move him to left when Dwayne Brown retires. I like that dream scenario. I love uh, love all our people on Walker Little now. Yeah. Um, wait, the next question is about Seahawks and Walker Little. So okay. Read the next one and then go back to the second part of that first question. 
Wait, can we go back to his second part? TBO Gucci also said, I was at a party in Roslyn, Washington, where the original Four Locos got banned in 2010. Our party made our party made a party. A party made national news. It made CNN and every news outlet in the country, and even SNL did a skit about it. No one died, but people got alcohol poisoning and went to the ICU. It was wild. Need me on the pod so I can tell you about the story. No, I hate this guy. Why? That is why Four Locos got banned. It was that party. Oh, was it? I hate this guy. Oh no, you ruined it for the rest of us. Okay. Although, me, I don't think it was just that party. To be fair, I saw some. That was like Personally, the snowball. Was, that started the snowball. It was a effect. snowball effect, but there was that. That was, those were not good. See, this is why I hate Seahawks fans. <laughs> They're not good. I hope they get Cole Van Landon in the second round. That's who I want to get draft. <laughs> Cole Van right. Landon. This is from uh, another Seahawks. But fan. honestly, they may have, he may have saved my life, so maybe I, I should thank you. That's true. All right, the username for this one is Depressed Hawks fan. As a Seahawks fan, I think most of what is out there surrounding Russell Wilson is smoke. However, I do think the Seahawks should invest significant assets in the draft and frenzy in the offensive line. I think a high upset player such as Walker Little to play tackle seems like a perfect fit. But most of the conversation seems to not be around him. Why is he not talked about as a fit for the Seahawks? And what other potential players on the offensive line would be good fits in the second round? These are my, my Walker Little peeps. I'm, I'm, I'm convincing everybody here. But... I think he's a great fit. I think, honestly, he comes off the board earlier, though, than where they were picking the second round. The guy I would probably peg for them that I, that I think would fit kind of what they're building and Pete Carroll saying, we want to run the ball. We've got to run the ball better. Jack Carmen, 330 Ooh, pounds, yes. 330 pounds, 330 pounds. 300, that's a line from left to right. Now, you just Hoss. need to get a, a little bit bigger at center, too. I don't know who you're going to draft there. Uh, maybe Deontay Brown. Have him, him play center. Ugh. I know that sounds awful, but that'd be fun. It'd be big. That would be big. It would be big. Um, all righty. Let's move now to JKFBK. Oh, I wanted to bring this up. Walker Little was also mentioned on your hit with Colin Cowherd. You had a hit with Colin Cowherd and oh, yeah. had a hit with NFL Now. You gave him on TV twice NBA. this week. You'd love to see it. But Colin Cowherd also said that you played at Notre Dame, <laughs> which you did it, which is hilarious. And I was like... Do I? No. I can't correct him. No, absolutely not. That's... You were 100% right not to correct him. But he's like, yeah, you played at Notre Dame. That was freaking hilarious. And you're like, yeah, what's he up? brought it up twice. And I was like, ah. And you got like, what, 40, 50 IG play, DMs after I that? I did play Inner Hall. I did get some IG DMs after that. Thank you, you love for... to see that. You know what you should have done is you should have taken the hit with a backwards hat on. Because he, he hates the backwards hat. If you would have showed I wouldn't up. I would have got an invite back. But I feel like that joke's kind of played out with Colin Cowherd too, though. I don't know. A lot of people No, but it probably would have elicited a, a reaction out of him, mm -hmm. though. Yeah. Because he leans into it now. Uh, which is smart by him. I mean, if you want to talk about someone who's good at their craft, Colin Cowherd is good at making people energized and excited about TV. If you hate on Colin Cowherd, you you're, you take life too seriously. And you're I'll misinterpreting his job. You're yeah. misinterpreting what he's trying to do. It's he's the same an thing entertainer. With like, yeah. Same thing with Skip Bayless. Same yeah. thing with Shannon Sharp. I mean, Stephen A. No, Skip Stephen Bayless. A. Don't disrespect I, the GOAT. I'm no, going to go on Stephen A. Here's the thing, though. Skip Bayless isn't in on the joke is the problem. With no, Skip that Bayless. is true. He doesn't realize that he's an entertainer. He thinks that this is like he is Loved. the yeah. voice of sports analysis. That's incredible. Colin Cowherd knows he's like just throwing. Oh, yeah. By, he's living by the sea. Which you just love to see. Yeah. Guys living the fucking dream. All right. He came when I was an intern at San Diego. Fox I wish you would have asked me about Trey Lance because I would have brought up his daughter on IG. No, you wouldn't have. Oh, I would have. You would not have. I, just let's see. Next, I'll, I'll get back you, on. I guarantee I'll get you. Get back on. I guarantee and I will you. Bring up I'll give Colin. you. I'll give you five hundred bucks if you do it. Okay. Hell yeah. Easy. And okay. you have to mention what would you say? Just give me a, a raise, five hundred dollar raise. What would you say? Uh, I will. I'll say I love the confidence. I mean, I see him commenting on your daughter's Instagram all the time. <laughs> I'll give you five hundred dollars if you do that. I, I, I'll give you five hundred dollars if you do that, Quinn. Am I wrong to think this is absurd? 
There's no way you bring I'm that up. I'm doing it. I, no, I mean, we're talking about entertainers and entertaining. That would be entertaining as you hell. Would love so it. Oh, oh my God. God. It would be incredible. I'll chip, I'll chip in on the 500. Dude, yeah. I, that would be incredible. All right. Uh, I'm going to look to book you on Callan Cowherd soon. We're going to need to make it happen. <laughs> Got to get Lance in the to topics. I'm, I'm inc that's incredible. All right. This is from JKFBK. Which player in the current top 32 do you think has the most probability to be a bust? Man, Caleb Farley is just red flag city at this point with his yeah. curring back issues, former past ACL tear, opting out. That one's scary. And like sometimes guys, I mean, go back to like Lewis Nix, who I just brought up. He like just had a recurring knee issue and recurring like injuries. And yeah, he was on a football field, but he wasn't the same guy. And that could be very well like with the back issue. You can be playing. You can be like still you know healthy enough to play, but not be the same guy. And that's concerning to me. Trey Lance, obviously, and any quarterback, the bus rate's high. Outside of that, I'll say Jason Oway because he's got a he's got a ways mm -hmm. to go. You can't just drop him on an NFL field and think he's going to be. I'd also mention the right off the bat, he's, the, he really has to develop the Miami edge defenders. Gray Russo, still only one year of collegiate football, red, retro freshman mm -hmm. season, still needs to get a lot better. And then obviously Jalen Phillips has the concussions and um, could end up. The edge class is very busty. Yeah, ooh, it's like a <laughs> don't. Yeah. You gonna bring it's up Liv Cowherd it. again, or it's like uh... <laughs> it's just busty. Let's just leave it at busty for the for yeah, the people. Was, anything that was anything that was popping into my head was probably not what I should be saying. On the I, I respect that. All right, who dat dogs? I'm a huge Georgia fan, and I was wondering y'all's take on Aziz. Like Ava Adams. There you go. <laughs> it's been crazy watching his progression for three years at UGA, and I saw him way down Bleacher Report's edge rusher rankings, and I was wondering y'all's opinion. He also has a second question, super nerdy question, but what types of analytics software and programming languages do you use at PFF? I'll start. R, Python, SQL, JavaScript, HTML. Learn them all. Try to learn them all. At least learn two or three. You know those? I don't know all of those, but I'm saying people at PFF do. Adobe I'm learning... Creative Suite, too. For the, yeah, that's the, not a programming uh, language, stuff. but yeah, I agree no, that learning the Adobe's... We're throwing all the stuff out there. I'm yeah. Just no, I agree. No, no, I agree with Quinn. No. I got the one programming language you need to learn. Football. Oh, wow. X's nose. Take your shirt off. <laughs> All right. Go to uh, I'm a huge Georgia fan and talk about disease. Um, yeah, but I don't actually do any programming language, just to clarify. Uh, I'm a fan <laughs> of that of him, his skill set. It's a unique skill set. I think he's almost – people think, oh, two, 249, he comes in as pro day. I think he could be a good run defender. I don't think he's a DPR, the designated pass rusher, what Mike Mayak called Yannick Ngakwe coming out. No, like he, he can play in the run. I just, he really has to win with just pure hands and athleticism at the NFL level. He's, he's explosive enough. I think he can get by. I felt better about a guy like Brian Burns getting by. Because what, Brian Burns around a 4 5 one yeah. was just all around everything athlete. I think that's kind of what it takes to be consistently dominant pass rusher. And I think we've even seen it from Yannick Gakwe kind of goes really up and down as a pass rusher. He's not a – he's never really taken that leap into – because he's not that caliber of athlete that can really clown tackles on the reg. Cleveland Furl went ahead of Brian Burns and Josh Allen in that draft. I still can't believe that. That's wild. That is wild. That's that's your version of A.J. Dillon for me. Yeah. All right. Dean P90. 
Thomas Graham Jr. is my guy. And when I see my guy, I, when I say my guy, I mean played football with him in high school. Oh, started varsity as a freshman, and he played everywhere. Wide receiver, corner, safety, linebacker, running back, wildcat, QB. Dude wore number seven, and you always saw number seven with him around the ball. Never didn't hear his name being announced. Eleanor Roosevelt High School, stand up. Just wondering where you guys have him as a prospect and where you could see him drafted in April. That reminds me so much of so the one guy from my like hometown who was good at football, Michael LaSure, if you recall. Oh, yeah. Second rounder for the Lions. I think the second rounder. Played at Illinois, running back. He was just like a freak. He was 6'2", 230 back in high school. And when he just went towards the end of games, when they would be in like a blowout, he would just go to defensive line and just start throwing guys around. Like he was just could do another guy that just is – they're different than the rest of us when they're at that level of capability. But Thomas Graham – by NFL standards, then, he's just kind of a mid-athlete. And that's – it's an athleticism position quarterback. It matters more there than maybe any other position on the football field. But I think his experience is a huge plus. He's been starting since he's a true freshman. His instincts are a plus. His feet and his balance are exceptional. That's why I'm a big fan of his. I'm probably higher in him than a lot of people. Like, he'd be – I draft him probably in the early third. I'm not sure he will go until maybe early day three. I think he kind of – I think he has some regrets about not playing this year. I would think. Yeah, he could. He could. He could have raised his stock. He, he, well, it's eatable though. Him saying, you know, you always saw number seven around the ball reminded me. Of, I talked to uh, our Darius Washington last night, TCU safety, yeah. and he said, you know, teams have asked him. You know, I asked him where do you want to play in the NFL, or whatever team said you should play in the NFL, and he said they've asked every team has asked me something different, like slot, box, outside, all this different stuff. And he said, I said, where do you want to play? He's like, I want to play where the ball is. It's like, you know what? I freaking like that. I like that answer. You know, some people, that answer, that question, like, where are you going to play in the NFL, is often responded with, I'll play anywhere they ask me. I'll play where the ball is, is a top five answer for me. That's, that's a phenomenal He wants to answer. play center. Yeah, he it. wants to play center, which is cool. A sexy I can't question. wait. I mean, he's got the weight to do it. All right, brother underscore J. Do you think waiting on quarterback for the Lions is a mistake? This year's class appears to be a special class, and Trey Lance is getting slept on. I don't know if he is. We could possibly just sit at seven and not have to move up and get a quarterback who can also sit behind Goff. I think the only quarterback that will be available to Detroit Lions at seven is Mac Jones. Yeah, that was an egregious use of getting slept on. Yeah. Like, that's that guy's been touted as top a top five, five player last yeah. year and a half. But don't I, make fun of Brother Jay. I, I just think the Lions are such a tough. I go back and forth to the Lions because they're in a position where obviously you'd want to do better than golf, but you also have a not great roster. And do you give, and you're kind of at like a beginning of a rebuild where you don't need it right now. And and you'll be players in next year's class, even with golf. I don't think they'll be picking outside the top 10 next year. You're very confident you'd be in that sort of range. So trading up, it's going to be a bidding war this year. There, yeah. there will be teams like that's how good these quarterbacks are. And that's how many teams need them. There will be teams giving up a lot out of desperation, out of the need to get it. Do you want to be giving up a lot right now? Do you want to be cap draft capital strapped the next couple of years in this rebuild? That's, I just don't think that's where you want to be. If you're the Lions. like if you give up a future, I mean, you give up a future second round pick that could be pick 33 could be rolling through next year and saying is pick 33 better than, Pick 34 or whatever that question was. I can't remember. I think the phrase you were looking for is draft cap strapped. That's good. I like that. That's a draft cap strapped is what you're looking for. Yeah. TM. He had another question. 
Sam Howell, I think this is a good, good, good question. Sam Howell, the UNC quarterback, is losing all of his weapons this year. And that's an understatement. Daz Newsom, Deami Brown, Michael Carter, and Javante Williams are all entering the draft. I think he will struggle next year and his draft stock will fade. I am not a Slovis fan. I don't understand the hype. So I guess that leaves me rooting for Spencer Rattler, hoping he becomes the next Messiah. But again, that's if we land the number one pick. To me, I think quarterback this year is a slam dunk. Am I crazy? Is Brother like Jay crazy? Class. I like, uh, yeah, he's not crazy about the fact that these quarterback classes don't come around every year. Yeah. It, it can look nice right now. We can be like, ooh, Spencer Rattler, got a hose, look at him outside the pocket. And then he comes back next year and poops his pants. Have you watched any of the Carson Strong kid, Nevada? He's got a, he had the farthest throw of anyone in the country last year. That, Romeo Dubs, though, is the real deal. That's a major wide receiver. It's a sick name. Romeo. Romeo Dubs is sick. He, dude, he torched your boys. Towards San Diego State. Yeah. Oh, that's right. No, you're yeah, right. Absolutely. Nevada gave us the biz last year. Yeah. You hate to see it. He's that guy. Then you got uh, what? Explosive. Malik Willis, Liberty? He's got yeah, the. He's got a cannon, too. Those got, but yeah, Carson Strong. I'm looking at my chops for next the year, bro. This throw. We got to make a. Where's Liberty? Carolinas? I'm just going to go on a limb and save the Virginias. All right, I'm going to look where that is. I might, we might have to do a tailgate toward what, Liberty. Just Virginia, actually. I would guess if I had to guess. No. Nope. It is in Virginia. Let's go. Lynchburg, Virginia. What the fuck? Why is that a name of a city? Jeez. But yeah, I, but I still do think, like I said, with where you are as a roster, draft cap strapped. How is the draft East Coast cap, naming things strapped. Lynchburg? How have we not changed that name? That is dis- that is not. I've actually been there before. That's, that's just, I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm not on board with that. Maybe it's named after Marshawn Lynch. I fucking doubt it. <laughs> All right. If the, uh, He had another question. Brother Jay is just loading us up. If the Lions took a slot receiver at the top of round two, what would be the best option? Elijah Moore won't be there. Kadarius Tony maybe. And Rondo Moore, maybe. Elijah Moore could be there. You think so? I th- if, if Elijah Moore gets past the Green Bay Packers at 29, I will be floored. Like, why, yeah. At that point, why, you're just avoiding the wide receiver position for the content. Yeah. Uh, Elijah's top on our board. So, obviously, I'd say Elijah. But after that, that's tough, man. I don't know. Anthony Lynn's offense. I just threw up in my sure. mouth. <laughs> I don't know what Anthony Lynn's offense is going to be, and I'm not excited about it. It's a little more vertical. So, give me the uh, – Jamal Rondale. Williams might have more Give receptions. me Rondell with that fourth – Four two nine speed. Love it. All right. A couple more questions here. We got to be out at 10.05. Hard stop at 10.05. Oh, shit. This is from a Wyatt man. You guys say 10.05 as if like the people here know what time we're They know we're recording. This. They know. Right. Uh, don't worry. Subtle. This is from a yeah. Wyatt man. How much of an impact do you believe coaching familiarity with scheme had on Baker Mayfield's sophomore slump? And do you believe his resurgence in terms of play is sustainable? I'm curious if any past quarterbacks come to mind who've had a similar three-year trajectory to Baker Mayfield. Good rookie season, awful sophomore slump, decent first half of his third season, elite play in the second half of his third season. Do you know anybody off the top of your head that had <laughs> Just I'm asking. I mean, Dak Prescott is a corollary in that his sophomore year, second year was not great. You know, he had a couple, he had a lull in there where People were questioning. That's why people still question. It's like, it's I have a contract. Here. But I also think it's it's Odell Beckham is the reason. No, why. it's not. It's Odell Beckham. No, it's not. I swear to God. It, it's maybe not. It's not. I'm not blaming Odell. But Odell's presence on the football field turns Baker Mayfield's brain into creamy mush. Mm. He, look at these numbers when targeting Odell Beckham. He's your best receiver. You should have your best numbers targeting your best receiver. He has a 56.1 completion percentage. A 75.6 passer rating. More picks than touchdowns targeting Odell Beckham since he got there. Yikes. What am I missing? I will say this, though. Regardless of this roller coaster that he's had, I think if anything, 
it shows just how important situation is for a quarterback. Again, it comes back to like Josh Allen and what the Buffalo Bills to build around him was awesome. And they got a really good season out of Josh Allen. I think getting Kevin Stefanski, adding to the offensive line, Austin Hooper, Jarvis, I mean, they did and a losing lot. Odell Beckham. But, but that game is almost comedic, that game. Which one? That Odell Beckham went down. Oh. 0 for what, 6 he starts off with, throws a pick to Odell Beckham. Doesn't have another incompletion the rest of the game. Started 0 for 6. Odell Beckham goes down. Didn't have another incompletion. He has a spike. I'm not crazy. I, I'm not crazy. I might sound crazy. I'm not. I'm not crazy. All right. A couple more questions here. This is from CJ Spiller. Was fun to watch. True. Here's my mailbag question. What helps Bills the most in the round one? I think Rondo Moore would be a home run. and would be an upgrade uh, playing the Isaiah McKenzie role in the Dable offense, which is a huge role that Josh Allen loves to utilize. I also think rock-solid tackle like Tevin Jenkins could be a good to, too good to pass up. And then linebacker and quarterback are pressing needs. What helps the Bills most going forward? Oh, man, I kind of just got a little that thinking about Rondale getting carries in the backfield there. Dable would use him right. Dable knows what the fuck he's doing over there. You can probably I, get him one. in the second, though. No, not that late in the second. Not the back end of the second. I still i am going to say cornerback, though, because – Think about the impact Tredavis White had on this defense. Still has on this defense. But when you got Tredavis White, how that kind of transformed what the Bills do. Double it. Yep. Another Tredavis White. How does that sound? That sounds sick. I, I would think that's corner, why I, I would that's why I corner, vote because you can get that impact guy day one. Corner end of day two or end of round two, you're kind of really in the weeds on a guy if he can even start for you. Interior offensive line, I think you can hit a home run at the back end of second round, and you get that guy to plug in right away. I would go corner or tackle. I think that makes the most sense for the Bills. They signed Daryl Williams. They didn't really have a tackle need. I still think develop. It, it's just too valuable a position. What? I, they're in a window. You're in a window. This is the last year of Josh Allen cheap before fifth year and then before extension or tag. So you're going to go shoot the moon with like a Rondale, you're saying, or a corner. Corner. All right. This is fight on. Dan. You're gonna have to. You gotta stop the Chiefs. Is Teron Johnson gonna guard Tyreek Hill again? So could fucking lose that game. Yeah. So. All right. This is from fight on Dan. If you were gonna make a 53 man roster of all the top prospects in this year's draft, how would they fare in a regular NFL season schedule? Assuming they'd have a good NFL head coach at the helm, could that team make the playoffs? Man. So the biggest thing here, I think, quarterback, wide receivers, and. and Defense, defense. I think the biggest like transition with like corners and safeties is more you're going to a brand new scheme. It's a different speed. The place where it really is different and where you're going to get exposed, line of scrimmage. Nah, it's just tough for a lot of guys to come in. There's only a few that do it every year that can come in and play on both sides of the ball. It would be, it'd be tough, especially since you don't have really defense tackles in this year's class that are great. I don't want to make the playoffs. They, they're like a 8-8 eight eight team, 7-9 team, I think. I'd be interested. Maybe to see even it. better with Trevor Lawrence this year. Like ten six. Yeah, but they, they also they, got they make the playoffs. I'm talking myself into it. They <laughs> also got Zach Wilson too. You know what they say? If you have two quarterbacks, don't have one. You don't have one. And so. you got Trey Lance, so you can be you can have the two QB system. I also love the idea of having like all, the, the offensive line class is deep enough to where you could have some talent in the trenches. Yeah, yeah I guess you hit up. So you get the best one. The defensive line would be butt cheeks. I mean, yeah. compared to like NFL offensive lines. Yeah. I but I, the cream would rise. It's not like you're you're just getting the top five prospects. You're getting like you could get Michael on Wayne last year and fi- realize, oh shit, this guy's actually way better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy's actually way more ready than we thought. Because you're gonna go into the preseason with ninety. 
you know, you're going to pick the 90 best players. Yeah. That's a lot. I mean, you're going to get 90 of the best players. You're going to compete in camp. Lights out with a good head coach, apparently. And, and I don't know, man. 10 and 6? I like it. All right. This is from Jack Rock 101. We'll finish with his. My question is, if the Washington football team traded a third this year and a fourth next year to get Marcus Mariota, it sucks to see hear this. <laughs> he has a no trade clause in his contract, unfortunately. Hmm. But... If the team did trade a third and a fourth next a third this year and a fourth next year for Marcus Mariota and picked a Curtis picked up Curtis Samuel for agency, they did hot. while resigning key pieces like Darby, they didn't sign Darby. They got Scherf. What would the ceiling be? Also, if they drafted upgraded from Darby, well, Jack, yeah. So, also if they drafted JOK in the first to serve as linebacker next to Cole Holcomb, UNC grad, and then drafted a receiver in the second like Deami Brown, UNC grad, to the play outside along with secondary. Along with secondary offensive line depth in the draft, how would you benefit? I love these questions, by the way. Again, it comes back to NFL fandom. Like, you got this guy, Jack Rock is working, or Jarock. It's just Jarock. He's working a normal job, probably doesn't work in football, whatever it is. And um, he's just sitting there at his desk thinking, fuck, man, if we re sign Curtis Samuel, trade for Marcus Connecting Curry. dots. Like, I love it, dude. I love it. it th- that's what the league has done to fans, where fans are sitting there like, all right, we trade a third and a fourth to Marcus Mariota. We give Curtis Samuel a call off from 10 mil. Maybe 11. And it's like you're just like sitting like Deami Brown. We get Cole Holcomb paired up with JOK. And next thing you know, we're winning 10 games. It's like that. The way they've marketed the offseason in the NFL should be a, sure. on fucking masterclass. Oh, I mean, you have these guys sport, with no though. vested interest. No vested interest outside of maybe a season ticket. And they want to figure out how to make the best football team possible. I think that they're a... They're a lightning in a bottle esque Super Bowl team, and I'll tell you why. Ooh, that was a weird ooh. Fitzpatrick. Ooh, I don't want to say Fitzpatrick (laughs) is that type of quarterback. One, but this defensive line is about to be insane next year. Like that was year one of Chase Young. Year two of Chase Young is going to be scary. Year two of Chase Young might be best edge defender in the NFL. He's a problem, but then you can't really just account for him. Because you also have Jonathan Allen, Matt Ioannidis, and Montez Sweat, who can also win one-on-one easily. This is like Eagles 17 level of dominance defensive line. Giants runs-esque in what they can do with their front four. That's how good this D-line is. And when you have that elite, unstoppable D-line, we always say pass, rush, versus coverage, whatever. If you're so dominant at one of them, you're going to have one of the best defenses in the NFL, and it's going to cause massive problems for opposing quarterbacks. So I do think that they're a sneaky, like we saw them give, even they played Tom Brady and the Bucks closer than the Chiefs did. They played about as close as the Packers. Like they gave them a real game with Taylor Heineke at quarterback. Now Taylor Heineke also played well, but I, I think this team is close and it's because of that defensive line. You love to see it. That's going to do it for this versions of this episode of the mailbag. Only 20 questions to get fully caught up to this portion through March 10th. And then we got another 75 to get caught up through, I think, March 20th. Then we got the over 150 on the international mailbag. Start doing the math here. We're going to get there, I hope. We might have to do Possibly. two mailbags a week. I don't know. Quinn, what are your thoughts? I need, I need answers. To, I need we solutions. We do have to do two mailbags a week. Or no, we have, might have to do three, I'm saying. Oh. Like five episodes. We should just extend the mailbag. Yeah, I was going to say. It's honestly either... the highlight of my week, so we need to make it longer. Okay. It's either that or we just do mailbag questions every episode. Like, not the whole thing, Interesting. but you could attack someone at the very That's not end. a bad shout. Just do like 10, maybe five. 
Something like that. We'll think about it. We'll think about it. We're going to get there, though. And if you want your question answered before the draft, it feels like a false promise. I don't want it to be a false promise. I swear we'll get to it. But if you want your answer before the, you want your question answered before the draft, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review. It helps us a ton. A big reason why PFF's 2-4-1 Drafts podcast has grown as much as it has is because you guys are in Apple Podcasts leaving reviews. That helps us with rankings. That helps us with listenership. All that stuff. Really appreciate the support for 2 4 Drafts. Go to Apple Podcasts, leave your review. Um, but that's going to do it. We're going to now go ahead and jump to interviews with Mississippi State running back Kylan Hill and LSU linebacker Jabril. Now joining the 241 Drafts podcast is former Mississippi State running back Kylan Hill. Kylan, I know you're out there in Frisco, Texas, training with Exos. How are things going, man? Man, everything uh, going very well. You know, I can't wait to my pro day. You know, I'm very excited to show people what I can do. You know, um, like I said, very excited. I've uh, been training with a lot of guys next level. I'm just ready to go. When is your pro day? Uh, March 24th. Gotcha. And who you've been working out with? Uh, what other prospects have you been working out with uh, down there at Exos? Uh, running backs or just any prospect? A- any of the guys you've been working with? Who who's in your workout group? Uh, you know, I'm working out with guys like Jamar Chase, uh, Jalen Darley, um, Rondell, uh, just guys like that. You know, I like to uh, compete with them guys. You know, they're, they're next mm-hmm. level to me. So when I get to compete with them guys, I know I'm close to them. Yeah, I, we've had Jalen Darden and Rondell Moore on this podcast. Rondell, that guy is a workout machine, dude. That guy yeah, is insane. Freak. He's a real free athlete, no doubt in mind, no doubt. Dude, that guy's been squatting like 600 pounds since he was like 17 or some crazy shit. <laughs> like, that guy is un- unreal, dude, unreal. Yeah. But um, what what drills specifically are you kind of prioritizing? I know you're working on everything. Everyone's working on everything as they kind of prepare for their pro days. But are there any drills that you're kind of like specifically prioritizing, ones you kind of have circled that you really have to nail at, at your pro day coming up? Um, no, I feel very confident through the drill, you know, going going with uh, my position coaches and everything. They're very confident. They told me that I'm I'm really ready to go. If I can have a pro day right now, I'll ace it. Uh, basically, just been going over my 40, uh, my 40 time. I want to run real fast and show people that I can run fast. And what weight did you play at this past season? I think you're listed at like what five foot eleven, two fifteen. What weight did you play at this past season? Are you working to a new weight based off maybe NFL feedback or whatever it may be? Uh, yeah, this year I only played in two games, but the two guys I played in, I was around two hundred eight. And then, what are you working to a new weight? Do you want to be at two fifteen? Do you want to stay in that two hundred five, two ten range? Or are there any specific weights you're kind of gaining or aiming for? Um, no, not really. Uh, two hundred eight. I feel like I'm very quicker. I'm very you know, um, explosive. Um, I feel good, especially in the LSU Kentucky game. I felt very good. You know, didn't feel sluggish at all. I just felt like myself. I kind of want to go back to the 2019 season. I think that's really, you know, he had, you know, 242 carries, 1350 yards, 10 touchdowns in that season. That's really where you kind of had a ton of opportunity to like show what you had. And there was a lot of reason to kind of, you know, enter the draft of that season, not decide to come back to Mississippi State, but you did decide to come back and all those things. But back in 2019, do you feel like that's when you really kind of broke out where opportunity kind of met, you know, the threshold of the skill set that you did have? Talk to me more about that 2019 season and all that went into it. Yeah, you know, uh, the season before that 2019 season, I feel like I was going to break out then. But, you know, the injury bug, it, it is what it is, part of the game. But like you said, 2019, I feel like uh, dealing with Coach Moorhead, he told me, he tell me all the time it was my year. You know, uh, I stepped up to the challenge. I took it and I did what I did. Uh, very blessed. I feel like I showed a, a lot of people that I can't run between the tackles and I did that. I put it on display. 
And, and so I think the big strength for me that stands out, and it's kind of what's listed in PFF's draft guide, is that explosiveness, that ability to kind of stop, start, get out of your brakes, you know, shoot out of a cannon. And I think that translates a ton to being able to break tackles, having contact balance and those things. Do you feel like, you know, you put the scouting hat on. Do you feel like your biggest strength or what separates you is that explosiveness and that force miss tackle ability? Or is there something else that really separates you in this running back class? Yeah, you're, you're, I feel like you're right on key with it. And also, I feel like what's separating me and my route running, you know, a lot of people only see me running swings, slants, you know, but while in the coach, in leech offense, I had a lot of routes, uh, crossing routes. I even had curl routes, uh, any deep post routes. Um, I had a lot of t- opportunities to show. I feel like my route running is what's going to separate me from a lot of running backs, lining up in the slot and displaying my hands that I got. Yeah, I think a lot of people want to see more of that because even in, you know, only playing a handful of games this past season, yet 27 targets, 23 receptions and 234 yards. Like you had, if you were playing that entire season or in a non-COVID-19 kind of impacted season, I'm sure it would have been a kind of a 60, <laughs> 70 target type of year yeah. where we really got to see you, um, you know, work those hands. Did you have, you know, plans when you were working with the Mike Leach offense and those things to run a lot of routes outside of the backfield in the slot and those things? Yeah, you know, uh during practice, uh, while I was there with Mike Leach, I, most of my drills I did with, was with wide receivers. You know, I lined up with the receivers. Um, being, being with Coach Spurrier, the receiver coach, he showed me a lot of things. Great coach. Um, working on my releases, working on my hands, coming out the ball. So linebackers, a lot of linebackers aggressive. They don't want us to get out the ball because we already had the advantage. So I took I took everything he taught me and put it in my game. And, and and talk to me more about, you know, in your time at Mississippi State, what all went into, you know, your preparation from a film perspective. When you're turning on the film and preparing for an upcoming opponent, what are you looking for from the defense to kind of pick up and factor into your game, whether that's tendencies, alignment, how they blitz, those things. What are you looking for on film from an opposing defense as you prepare for each team each week? Yeah, you know, uh, especially in the, in the SEC, a lot of people play man and to me, what we do, man, my coach, we look up hot. What's the percentage at the time they're blitzing? Like on third, fourth, third, first. What's the percentage of it? Uh, most of the time, most of the time it's low. But for, for me, I look at uh, how individual players, how they're tackling, are they aggressive, low hitters? Because you know, I run, I'm very big weighted, so a lot of uh, DBs like to hit me in my legs. You know, they will not use my guy get the ability to jump off them just a little bit. Gotcha. And then how has that film preparation kind of changed this offseason? Are you watching a lot more film on yourself, looking back at that 2019 season maybe, or are you watching, you know, guys in the NFL? Are you watching other running backs in the NFL to kind of pattern your game after? Uh, I do both. You know, uh, I watch my, my 19 film compared to the – either even though I played two guys compared to it, I see the big change, and I always tell myself I wish I could have uh, kept playing, you know, I put up so I, people can know. I feel like a lot of people uh, are asleep, but – as for me to wake them up. But also, uh, being in the senior bowl allowed me to, to show a lot of coaches and even gave me the advantage to learn, to learn quicker and see the preparation, how the NFL comes. But with just watching player, I watch a lot of Evan Kamir, the way the Saints use him. Uh, I love the way they put him in the slide, let him take advantage of everything he does. You know, very underrated player coming in, coming into the NFL, and he turned out to be one of the best backs in the league right now. All right, I have to ask you, every time I talk to someone who's kind of worked with Mike Leach or you know played for Mike Leach, got to give me a good Mike Leach story. When I talked to Gardner Minshew, he gave me like two or three, when he was coming out of Washington State like three three years ago or whatever it was, he was he told me like two or three stories that he said off the record. But I'd love to hear something you got that you can tell the people uh, about Mike Leach. <laughs> Man, a real character. You know, the first the first time I, I say the first practice, we out, there, we out here practicing, the, uh, he just the automatic walks on the field. 
with his with his headphones in. He got the old headphones. He got his phone. He's just jamming, jamming. You think he don't? He, he not paying attention. As soon as you drop a ball or anything, he, he he's on you. He's on you. <laughs> That's funny, man. Old headphones. We got to get Mike Leach some AirPods. It's time. You know, it's yeah. time to get Mike Leach some AirPods. He loves the cores, man. That's insane. That's awesome, man. Well, I'd love to finish with this one. I ask a lot of the guys this question is, is you know, why do you why do you pursue the game at the level you do? What, you know, make the sacrifices to play in college football and also pursue the NFL, do all that you have to do to play this game and why you love football? Uh, basically, it was, it was born in me. You know, I picked up football at a, at a very early age. My father played football. I'm very motivated by my mother. You know, she sacrificed a lot for me, myself, and my grandmother also. So basically, I'm just self-motivated and just really want to make my family proud and just, you know, one day retire and then one day. Perfect, man. Well, I really appreciate you setting aside the time, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. No problem. Thank you for having me on. Now joining the 2-4 Drafts podcast is former LSU, North Dakota State, off-ball linebacker, coverage guru. That's what PFF knows you as. You were one of the best coverage players in all of the country this past year, and even going back to your time in North Dakota State. I know you're right now based in Miami, training for your upcoming pro day. How are things going down there? Uh, it's going great. Uh, just out here, um, just competing, uh, getting better each day, and just working towards pro day, March 31st. Have you had? I know you're probably on a strict diet. I get that. But have you had any opportunities to eat some of the food down in Miami? It's underrated because people bring up the girls, the beaches, the clubs, Pitbull. The food in Miami is damn good. The Cuban food, all that stuff. Have you had any opportunities? Right, exactly. Uh, no, I haven't really been able to <laughs> test the Miami lifestyle. Uh, it's been strict, uh, strict uh, timeline that I've been on. But uh, maybe later on I'll be able to after pro day. That's what you need, man. Your pro day is on March 31st. Talk to me about you know what you're doing to prepare for that. I know it's a mix of everything, preparing for drills, trying to get down to certain weights and all that stuff, but are there any drills specifically where it's like you're saying, you know, this is where I really got to show up. This is where I can really show NFL teams that I could stand out among the rest. Yeah. While I've been here, I've been doing a, a lot of bag drills. Uh, those are things that a lot of teams want to see, just uh, contact, point of contact, uh, just continue to develop that and also uh, in uh, coverage, uh, doing my drops, uh, linebacker drops, DB drops, just uh, every day, just honing that craft. So, you know, when PF, you know, when Mike and I are studying prospects, we look at linebackers specifically, depending on the scheme you're playing in, you're asked to do a lot of different things in coverage. And you specifically, talk to me about the role you were put in at LSU and like the common drops that you had in coverage at LSU. Right, at LSU, uh, I was asked to cover a lot of the times the tight end or the running back uh, during my time there. Well, at, you know, NDSU, I was asked, you know, to also play in the slot, but I was more of the nickel there. So uh, when I got to LSU, uh, it was more just more of the bigger guys, tight ends and uh, uh, running backs out in space. You also had some, you know, an opportunity to go down to the Senior Bowl and really stood out there. How, how was that experience for you? What did you take from that? How was, you know, receiving feedback from coaches? Kind of what were your key takeaways from that experience at the Senior Bowl? All right, it was great uh, going down to the Senior Bowl. Uh, going down there, I just wanted to compete, uh, just show the coaches that I'm a competitor. Uh, it's something that I love and always uh, just wanted to do. That's the reason why I transferred uh, up, just to compete and just take my game to the next level. But being at the Senior Bowl, uh, I thought each day I wanted to focus on the little details and just continue to build on it and just uh, give the coaches uh, what they wanted. All right, I want to turn back the clocks a little bit. Obviously, you know, encouraging offseason, training down there in Miami, also working down at the Senior Bowl. But 
<clears throat> excuse me, your your recruiting background is very interesting. You know, you were two-time captain, three-year starter at Raytown South High School in Missouri, also a dual-threat quarterback that played receiver, linebacker, safety, and corner throughout high school. 3,100 uh, yards of total offense as a senior, 31 touchdowns, but still, you know, not a lot of FBS offers coming out, ultimately commit to North Dakota State and then transfer to LSU for your final season. One, how insane was it playing all those different positions in high school and, and having that success? And two, why do you think you just kind of were like, un, you know, unnoticed coming out as a high, uh, as a high school student? Man, I think it was great uh, having that, that many positions played. I think it helped me out, especially now. Uh, being a former quarterback, I'm able to really diagnose and analyze the field a lot more, uh, being on that side of the ball, then transitioning to defense. But uh, I think just where I'm from, Kansas City, that's a very under-recruited area. Uh, a lot of guys go under unnoticed, especially with the surrounding schools like KU, MU, K-State. Uh, they like to overlook guys and go to guys that either play in Texas, Florida, or Cali, the bigger the bigger name type players. But uh, – just coming out of high school, uh, I think just being under-recruited really helped me. And then uh, just going to North Dakota State, it's one of the best decisions I've, I've ever made. You're also a four-year starter on the basketball team in high school. What kind of player, what kind of basketball player were you? Low post guy, shooter, facilitator? I need to know your game there. Right, I was more of a slasher. Uh, just one of those guys that uh, you get the ball to me, I'll go and get a bucket. There you go. That's the, that's the best type of basketball player I have on your team. Guy's just going to get a bucket every time you pass the ball. That's the guy I need on my team, honestly. Um, also, walk me through you know, that decision to transfer to LSU for your final season of eligibility and, and play for the Tigers. All right, winning three national championships at North Dakota State. Uh, I felt that my time there, uh, I've done all I could. Uh, I gave my heart and soul to the program. And the next step was either uh, into the draft or uh, come back and – try to test the waters in the portal. So uh, I chose to come back. And once I entered, all the schools came. And then I seen a need at LSU that really benefited me. And uh, I wanted to compete against some of the top players in the nation at the FBS level. And that's what I did. And I don't bring this a ton up with prospects, but because you did, you know, leave North Dakota State after graduating, you got a degree in psychology with a minor in business. Obviously, 10, 15, 20 years down the road after you're retiring a future Hall of Famer in the NFL, what were, you know, what went into pursuing that degree and what were your interests off the field? I think it's something that uh, it's a pretty broad type of degree. So I can go into many different fields that need it, that definitely uh, can contribute to it. So, just having that in my back pocket, uh, I'm able to venture off to, into many things after I'm done with football. So uh, that's why I chose something so broad. Versatility in a degree is massive, especially when you're trying to you know iron out specifically what road or what path you want to go down. I agree with that. You know, something that PFF sees in your game, and you kind of saw it at LSU. You obviously saw it at North Dakota State, and even at the Senior Bowl, is that you're a very smooth athlete, and that translates to you know very good coverage ability, specifically at off-ball linebacker when your roles are a little bit different than playing outside corner and those things. That's how PFF sees one of your biggest strengths in your game. But you turn, you put the scout hat on and tell me what you feel like really separates you in this linebacker class. What you feel like your biggest strength is yeah right uh i feel like my versatility the way i can play corner uh play on the ball rush the passer i can play all three phases of the defense run pass and uh just continue to have that on the field that's something that 
uh, you need within the NFL, especially with this new day and age with it being a pass-happy league. Uh, you need somebody that can cover and also stop the run when needed. So I think that's what really helps me. What was some of the feedback? Because I know at the Senior Bowl, you know, I think you guys had a lot of opportunities to work with, obviously, the coaches down there on site, but also some Zoom interviews with different, you know, members of each team. What was some of the feedback you got about your game from those guys? Yeah, from them, they, they loved how uh, I'm just an athletic guy. Uh, they wanted to see me uh, just use my hands a lot more, and that's something that I continue to do throughout the three days that I practice down at the Senior Bowl and just uh, show them uh, – how I can really just get off blocks and just continue to develop in that way. What weight did you play at this past season at LSU? And and do you have any feedback or a goal weight that you want to play at in the NFL? At LSU, I played at 235. Uh, just my weight is 235 plus. Uh, I'm comfortable at 240 if need be, if I have to uh, gain weight. But just around the 235 range, that's where I've been uh, mostly playing at. Yeah, which is awesome. And you spoke to, you know, the NFL pass-happy league. Linebackers no longer have to be 250, 255. Now, you could be in that 230, 235 range and still be really successful playing that second level of the defense. I've talked to guys who teams have said they had their linebackers play at like 215, like getting that low to be athletic, to be faster in coverage and those things. Walk me through a given game week at LSU and what you do exactly to prepare for an upcoming opponent, what you're looking for on film, what you're repping in practice. I mean, it's to know what level of preparation goes into a given game week. All right. Throughout the week, uh, every single day I'm watching film, uh, Monday, Tuesday, on uh, Sunday, I'm uh, cutting it up, cutting up the film within 21 personnel, 12 personnel, depending on the opponent that we have, uh, just their top plays and just getting a head start on them. Uh, but just throughout the week, I'm uh, constantly staying after practice uh, before practice, before the scouting report, uh, asking questions, just trying to get a heads up on our uh, opponent. And also after practice, I'm always watching and what can do better team for. And how much has that kind of film preparation changed in the offseason? Are you watching a lot of film on yourself? Or are you watching film on NFL guys? What exactly are you looking for on film now? Yeah, it's mostly uh, what we did, what I did bad uh, or, or could could improve on uh, the following season and how I can develop that throughout. Uh, but also watching NFL guys because that's uh, the ultimate goal and the ultimate dream and just seeing those guys, what they do well, and trying to have that uh, patent in my game. And have you watched any film on, like, say, some of the guys you could be going up against? I've talked to some people who are looking at NFL guys they'll be going against, like, corners for receivers, et cetera. Have you looked at some of these tight ends, you know, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, or some of these running backs like Kamara that you might have to go against in coverage? Oh, yes. I watch those guys all the time. Uh, growing <laughs> up from Kansas City, uh, I always watch Travis Kelsey. So uh, just seeing uh, just the things that he's able to do and just uh, – being amazed by that uh it really is a challenge and it's something that i just love uh to look forward to if i'm able to play in the abc west we can close with this one jabril and i really appreciate the time I, I like to ask prospects you know what their motivation is to pursue football at the level you have and you have done it at, an, at you know an insane level in that you know obviously not a ton of offers coming out go to an fcs school in north dakota state win three championships with them and then decide instead of entering the nfl draft to do it again at lsu and prove it you could do it with the big dogs in the sec what is your motivation what is your why to kind of go through the sacrifice it takes to play you know football at this level and also pursue it in the nfl right it's to give give people hope 
uh, especially people back home in uh, Kansas City. Uh, just have them uh, have hope and just knowing that if Jabril can do it, then I can do it. Uh, it's something that I, uh, dreams do come true. That's uh, something that I keep telling people that you keep working for it. If you really want it, uh, just continue to thrive and uh, just work for it. You'll get it. And I'm right here living out my dream. And I'm just showing everybody that it's really true and uh, just giving them hope. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate the time and best of luck moving forward. Thank you. I appreciate you. And we are out of here. That's going to do it. Like I said, Apple Podcasts, leave your five-star reviews. Let's see them. Let's see those questions. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, David Sofaro, producer David Sofaro, producer Mike Quinn, all those guys. And we are out of here. And we are out of here. Two for one drafts. 